0: Welcome to St. Pat's Faith Talk, preaching, teaching, and conversations about the journey of faith from St. Patrick's Episcopal Church in Dublin, Ohio. I'm Father Jason, and it's a pleasure to chat with you today. We are continuing through the book of Genesis along with the Good Book Club, the initiative put forward by the Forward Movement. Remember, you can get a reading schedule as well as sign up for reflections and reminders at goodbookclub.org. We are scheduled to read chapters 10 through 21 this week. Obviously, that's more than seven chapters, so there's some days with multiple chapters on them. But fortunately, there's some of the smaller chapters in the book, so I think it kind of equals out a little bit. Chapters 10 and 11 ends the so-called Primordial Saga. While beginning with chapter 12, we start the stories of the ancestors, the sagas of the matriarchs and patriarchs. Chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel. This is a fairly famous story. Um, May not be really known much outside of Christian circles, or maybe it is because it's actually where we get the expression to babble on from. Uh, So the story goes that as they started to shift a bit from being nomadic cultures, they started building cities. Permanent residences and cities, all the peoples of the world. So the story goes, spoke the same language. And so they built the city and they decided to build this tower and try to build it as high as they could to reach the heavens, to reach God. God says, hold up, wait a second. That's not a good idea. And so God creates languages different languages for different people and they're not able to communicate. So therefore they're not able to do construction together and they disperse and we get different cities with different languages and different places and different peoples. So a little bit of this story is, you know, uh, an origin myth about how there came to be different peoples with different languages. A little bit is uh, about technological hubris and that's the the surface uh, meaning of the story. And it's an important one that no matter how technologically advanced we get we do not become God um, that's the the kind of the that we can see different ways in which we constantly try to become God that's a story from the fall uh, earlier in chapter three is this notion of us trying to become more not accepting our limits as human beings um, in some ways Also there's this Uh, embedded element of the curse of the nations, that the reasons that we can't get along and they can't function together and live in the peace that is prescribed by creation that God has imbued into creation itself is because we have like Icarus tried to fly to the way too high uh, for our own good. And that points toward uh, another theme that's going that comes about in Genesis and also through the rest of Hebrew scriptures uh, on occasion is that Israel or the Israelites are not just the chosen people of God but they're chosen for a purpose they're chosen to also be a light to other nations of how to live in relationship with God so that we can in this moment live into the peace and, and the provision that God has made in creation so that's a little bit of what's going on with the tower of babel Moving on, chapters 12 through 21, it gives us most of the story of Abraham and Sarah. Um, and certainly, as we move forward, the accent of the text is going to be on the patriarchs, but the matriarchs are included and as well, and they are very important characters in the story, and we should not um ignore them by any means. I encourage you to take a look at these people. As I've said before, these people are complex, they are flawed. And it's unique that the tradition remembers or tries to remember their flaws as well as their virtues. Take a look at those and keep those in mind as you're reading as we go. Now, Abraham's journey, his saga, starts with a promise from God. We hear in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curses you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this uh, promise is made. Not just in this one passage, it's actually made five times between chapters 12 and chapters 21. It's in the beginning of chapter 12 and the end of chapter 13, as well as chapters 15, 17, and 22. So a little bit beyond our 21 limit this week, but they're in there five times. This is a little bit, I think, of a literary wink and a nod to the five books of the Torah, Um, The Gospel of Matthew does a similar thing. The Gospel of Matthew, the ministry of Jesus, is structured around five sermons, and they're a wink and a nod to the Torah um, in Matthew. So there's a little bit of that. Also, it just gives it a way to balance the narrative, just literarily, um, these promises. I encourage you to go seek these out. Look at these five promises. Look at the ways that they are similar and at the ways they are different. Uh, What happens with each one and what's going on. Why is God having to make the promise again to Abraham? Um, And and when God does repeat this, what what changes? Those are key things to take a look at as you read the text. Also, we can note even from this beginning that the promise has two parts and a purpose. The family will be preserved. It will carry on. That's the first part of the promise. They will not just survive, but thrive. That is the promise that God makes. And then also God promises Abraham a land in which uh, to be in. But again, we're already seeing this purpose. The last part of verse three is that through Abraham, all the peoples, all the families, not just Abraham's tribe, but all the families of the world will be blessed. So this is the notion that, again, that Israel is to be a light to guide people into relationship with God. Walter Brueggemann, a great um, Hebrew scholar of the Hebrew scriptures, argues that the whole story of the ancestors uh, from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 50 is a foundational testimony of the Israelites that God is a promise-giving, promise-fulfilling God. Brueggemann is saying that the Israelites testify to God making promises and keeping them. And the story, we can see how God goes about doing that. And also see when Abraham responds to the promise appropriately, and when Sarah responds appropriately, and when they do not. Um, One example is that of Sarah and Hagar. Now, it was common in that day and age when someone did not have an heir um, by their spouse, they would sire an heir on a slave or with a slave. Um, they would literally have the slave sit on the wife's lap as she gave birth. So to say that this person, the child being born would be the heir to kind of physically act out being born, not by the slave, but by the other person. Mm-hmm. So that, that to us in our modern day, uh, reasoning, um, and, and view of things is horrible. And it is. And it's we have that on our own history in the United States as well. Um, And it's something that we have to sit with carefully um, and uh, take seriously. However, there's some seeds here of that. This is not a good idea. We see that with the relationship that was born out between Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac, who's eventually Uh, Abraham's son. Not only does the tension between these people, between this dysfunctional family, give us an idea that maybe this isn't a great practice to do in the first place. Second, Sarah's not trusting that God will eventually fill God's promise. Sarah's not waiting for that and trying to take matters into her own hands. And Abraham is right along with him. He's not saying no. He's just as culpable in that, in my opinion, as well. However, despite the challenges and the dysfunction, God still uses Ishmael as well. And the, the, makes a promise to Ishmael as well and to Hagar and shows provision for Hagar. And um, this gives us a key or a signal in the text that the promise, the promise making promise, fulfilling God is available to outsiders as well. Israel has a purpose as the chosen people and And as a light for others to come into relationship with God as well, but it's not. It does not indicate that God disfavors or that God rejects uh, others, the outsiders. In fact, there's a way in. God shows providence for the outsiders as well as for uh, Israel. We can see a similar dynamic played out a lot in writings like Isaiah, and. Um, that's not the only place, but that's just another example of where it comes up in the tradition as well. Of course, the ultimate incarnation within Christian tradition of this openness of God's promise is Jesus. We see it in the song of Simeon from Luke, where Simeon sings that Jesus will be a light to enlighten the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Jesus is the incarnation of God's promise being broken open and and outsiders being brought into the fold as well. We're reading these stories, especially this promise, especially in regards to the land that is being promised to Abraham. And right now there is a major war going on between Israel and Hamas that the Palestinian people are suffering through. Now, there's a I want to tread very carefully here because it, it really feels like there's nothing I can really say to make the situation better, but there's a whole lot that I could say that could make the situation worse. Please know that's not my intention. I'm trying to be very careful here. Um, nonetheless, uh, this recognition that the promise to God is open to outsiders as well, that Israel's to be a light, I think it, it is something that's not being brought into the conversation. Certainly Hamas was wrong and their actions were atrocious in their attack last October. And it is imposs- it is quite possible to denounce and reject such an act of aggression while also mourning the near 20,000 uh, Palestinians that have died in the aftermath of that. And to also grieve the fact that there are still Israeli hostages being held and to want them to go home. I think it is quite possible to be open to all of those mindsets, all of those positions and stances, all of those thoughts, all of those emotions. And I think the text and the story actually speaks to the to the fact that it's okay to to hold both sides of that tension in tension. Uh, with each other, and to also pray for peace, that somehow all of the leaders involved in this situation find a way to openness and find a way to peace that is uh, that is what God intended in creation as well. So I ask you to keep reading. Look at these people in their full complexity. Uh, check out all the f- five occasions that God makes the promise to Abraham. Check out the story of Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac and, and see how God uses this, this, this dysfunctional family to still bless the nations, to bless the people, to bless all the families of the world is the intent. And also see where you see openness and where you find ways uh, for us to live into the peace that God intended with creation. Thank you very much for tuning in today I Do hope you keep reading and we'll be back next week. In the meantime, uh, if you can give us a rating and a, and a review, wherever you listen to the podcast, that helps us out a lot. Also, you can share this episode to your socials. And if you'd like to support all the ministries of God through St. Patrick's Episcopal church, go to pats-dublin.org give. And most certainly remember no matter what, God loves you more than you can possibly imagine.